This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. It is the Subway to Shea podcast. Anthony Rivera here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. Episode 70 is here, coming to you a little earlier in the week with a very special episode. Two episodes are happening this week. That's right, two episodes. We'll recap the first half and preview the second half of the 2022 baseball season for the New York Mets at the end of the week. But today, we are focusing on the 2022 MLB draft and how the Mets fared with their picks. And for this, I have a very special guest. So joining me now is Jacob Resnick. Jacob is the editorial and social producer for MLB Pipeline, which is the home of MLB's baseball draft and prospect coverage. On top of that, he also covers Mets prospects for SNY. Jacob, welcome to the Subway to Shea podcast. It's great having you on. Yeah, thanks so much. It's uh, it's an exciting time for, uh, for the Mets and baseball and uh, always exciting to, to get new players into the organization to, uh, to learn about and cover. Now, I'm going to be completely transparent with you. I'm not the most knowledgeable when it comes to prospects and the farm system, unless we're talking about top prospects like Francisco Alvarez, you know, Ronnie Mauricio, Brett Beatty. If I do any research, it's looking forward to what you and Joe DeMeo put out there. Uh, this is actually the first time I've really watched it on TV with it being on ESPN. What do you think of the MLB draft becoming more mainstream, like how the NFL and NBA is? Yeah, I think it's been exciting to watch over the last few years. I think even if you go back to the the pre-MLB Network days, it was really not a, a thing that, that many people paid attention to, you know, live as it was happening. And then, you know, once MLB Network started broadcasting it from their studios, making it into a much bigger thing, uh, more people paying attention you know the nba you see kind of how much of a spectacle their their drafts are in person um you know even when the draft was at emerald work there were no you know fans you, you couldn't just go to, to watch the draft in person like you could for the other sports so um i think turning it into a, a much bigger event and presentation is, is just a great idea and i mean you, you see on tv how, how nice the setup is uh, and the players who are there, you know, sitting in with their families, it's just a really cool thing. And I think, you know, as uh, more information is available, whether it's online or social media, um, you know, m- more fans just get into get into the, the players and get into the event. And uh, it's really just a fun uh, sprint over three days to just kind of take it all in. Now, ever since the Mets decided not to sign their 2021 top draft pick, Kumar Rocker, a lot of hype and emphasis has been put on this year's draft to the point where it could alter the franchise for years to come. 
Mets had five draft picks in the top 100, two in the first round. They had the 11th overall pick, compensation for Rocker, the 14th pick, the 54th of the 75th, which was also compensation for Noah Syndergaard rejecting the qualifying offer, and the 90th pick. And we're going to concentrate on that today. They also had $13,955,700 in bonus pool money. Can you explain how the bonus pool works? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, unlike the uh, the other, you know, NFL and NBA drafts where players are kind of, uh, you know, held to uh, a predetermined uh, rookie contract, at least in the NBA. The NBA is probably the, the sport I know, uh, you know, cl- closer to, to, to any other sports as, as close to baseball. But, uh, you know, you, you, draft, you, you take your first round draft pick and his salary for the first, uh, you know, four years of his career is pretty uh, set in stone. Um, and there's not a lot of leeway there. Whereas in baseball, how it works is, uh, each team is assigned, or actually you start with each pick uh, in the first 10 rounds is assigned a slot value. And as you'll go deeper into it, you'll notice that very few picks, especially as you get later into those rounds, actually sign for slot value. But um, the combined total of those slot values for a team makes up their bonus pool. And all of the picks in the first 10 rounds have to fit into that bonus uh, you know, you start with the the first overall pick is over eight million, and then works its way down. And you know, by the by the tenth round, you're you're looking at much much lower numbers, and you know, down to to five and six digits. So it's it's those numbers, and then the picks after that in the eleventh through twenty twentieth rounds. Uh, anything in excess of one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars also counts towards the uh, the bonus pool. So that means it's it's really a game within a game of, of how you fit your player signing bonuses into the pool and what you end up seeing. And uh, you know, I think a good example would to to look at would be the twenty nineteen Mets draft where uh, the Mets took Brett Beatty in the first round, they took Josh Wolf in the second round, and then they were able to get Matt Allen in the third round. And Matt Allen was one of the top prospects available in the draft. He was expected to go, you know, in the top 20 and he ended up lasting until the third round which meant he was going to command a bonus you know similar to that of a top pick just much higher than what the slot value for that third round pick is so in order to make that work the Mets kind of had to move around some pieces and then what ended up happening was in their fourth through tenth rounds they took uh, players who didn't have as much leverage uh, to negotiate higher signing bonuses their college seniors who basically their their options were to take whatever the Mets gave them or go unsigned and they were out of college eligibility so they couldn't go back to school anyway so um, the Mets ended up signing a lot of guys for $10,000 less than that which is way less than the slot value of those picks and it frees up more money to sign you know someone of Allen's caliber in the third round so uh, it's like I said a game within a game of trying to move pieces around and figure out what fits to you know get as much talent as possible. Once again I'm here with Jacob Resnick. Jacob the editorial social producer for MLB Pipeline and the coverage of Mets prospects for SNY. Let's get into the new Mets prospects. The first round, the 11th pick, they go with Kevin Parada, 20-year-old out of Georgia Tech. He's a catcher. He was tabbed to go top five in a lot of mock drafts. Why do you think he fell all the way to 11? I think it was, you know, mostly what transpired in the beginning of the draft. I think, you know, the Mets, the, you know, their, their scouting director, uh, Tommy Tanis, said as much after the draft that, uh, you know, they were they were just as surprised as you are that, that Parado was able to, to slip to, to them at number 11. And I think you look at, uh, it's you know, you brought him up before, but Kumar Rocker, the fact that he was eligible again, and uh, the Texas Rangers decided to take a splash and take him at number three, which is way higher than, you know, had been projected. And 
um, that kind of sent the rest of the first round into a frenzy and you know players who teams maybe weren't expecting to to be there in the you know the the five six seven eight nine range uh ended up being there i think you know parado was in the, the mock drafts was not expected to, to slide past the nationals at uh number five but elijah green was there because like i said everything got bumped up when when rocker went at number three uh, and and you know the nationals didn't want to pass on green and that kind of just it was, it was just a chain reaction of, of going further down the first round and you know kind of just with so many players available in the draft teams just kind of have their their guy and um you know teams maybe felt that Parada wasn't the right fit for them but the Mets you know had him high on their board and, and they were uh very very comfortable taking him there at number 11. Well this past season which I think was his sophomore season if I read correctly Parada out of Georgia Tech had a slash line of 361 453 709 26 home runs over 88 RBIs, middle of the order bat, only throughout 12% of runners, needs work on defense. Do you think he ends up being a catcher down the line? Uh, where do you see him by the time he gets to the majors? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the other aspect of it is, will the catcher position matter as, as much by the time he, he does reach the majors? And it's the same conversation that uh, we've been having about Francisco Alvarez, mm-hmm. who has improved his, his framing quite a bit and his agility behind the plate. But yeah, I mean, you know, Parada's not the, the best defensive catcher in the world. And I think you'll live with that if you'll get a, an above average bat with him. Um, perhaps he is, you know, uh, able to, to move to a, a corner outfield spot um, you know, he's not like a, a big, you know, lumbering guy. He is, you know, pretty, pretty athletic for, for someone who was a catcher. He's just still kind of coming into his own. And, you know, I think that the thing to remember is he, he is really young. He's, you know, only 20 years old. Uh, he was a draft eligible sophomore this year, which is uh, unusual. Um, he's only, he's two years older than, uh, excuse me, younger than, than Brett Beatty. He's three months older than Francisco Alvarez. So, um, it's uh, you know, it's it's an interesting spot that he's in. I think uh, you'll you'll let him use his bat to carry into the majors and then kind of figure things out as he goes along. So you mentioned Tommy Tanis, the vice president of amateur scouting for the Mets, and he compared this when the Mets drafted Pete Alonso, even though they had Dominic Smith already in the organization. As soon as this pick was made, you know, the Mets fans were, you know, had their eyes open and seeing it was a catcher. The eyebrows began to raise because, you know, their top prospect, the second overall MLB prospect, Francisco Alvarez, is a catcher. Can you explain why the strategy of making a pick in the MLB draft differs from what is done in the NFL and NBA, like even taking, you know, two catchers now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a completely different uh, scenario and and. Um, you know, just just kind of how the the sport works. I mean, the NFL, if you have the opportunity to get a franchise quarterback with the number one pick, you do it, and he can step in there right away, mm-hmm. um, and you know, be be ready to go from week one of of that upcoming year. You're usually, uh, if you have a top pick at the at the top of the draft, you're you're a a lower rated team that that's going to have the ability to to have that player step in and play big minutes right away at the at the top level. Obviously, we know in baseball that's just not the case, and uh, most players have to spend years working through the minor leagues to uh to to make it up there and you know you just have no idea what uh the outlook of your franchise is going to be in 
you know, the, I mean, on the, on the, the quicker end, it might be two to three years that a player will take to, to get to the majors, but on the longer end, you know, if you're taking a high school player in, you know, four or five, six years. So um, obviously Mets fans should hope and should expect that Francisco Alvarez is going to be the, the long-term solution to catcher, but um, you seriously just never know what is going to end up happening in his career. And you know, for example, if he just doesn't pan out and you have someone like Parada ready to, to step in, then that's great. You know, obviously with the designated hitter, you could fit both of them into, into your lineup in the future. You know, maybe, uh, you know, Parada ends up as a first baseman, and this is long after, you know, Pete Alonso, you know, hopefully he stays long-term with the Mets, but maybe he moves on and there's a, an opening at first base. So, um, you know, you can never have too much talent in your organization. You never know when you might need to use some of the, these players as, as trade ships. You know, there's nothing wrong with just accumulating talent down the organization. And you also get to just think of the toll that an 162-game season takes not only on a baseball player, but on a catcher who just, you know, has to sit in the backstop, takes foul balls, gets hit by bats. I mean, it's it takes a toll. So we we don't know if, like you said, if Francisco Alvarez will be a catcher his entire career. Same thing goes for Parada. We just we just don't know. But, you know, one thing I want to get out of the way, and Mets fans have been posting this on Twitter, and I think you even mentioned it, you can't trade or include in a trade Parada for Juan Soto. I mean, that, that's just not <laughs> happening, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the rules, you know, will prohibit it happening until after the World Series. Any recently drafted player is, is you know, not allowed to be included, even as a player to be named later, until after the World Series is over. So uh, if, if Soto's going to be traded before the, the deadline this year and the Mets are going to be involved in it, Parada will be uh, will be off limits in, in those discussions. Let's go to the next pick in the first round. They picked 14th a couple picks later. They went with shortstop Jet Williams out of Rockwell Health High School. He was ranked 15th by Baseball America and 14th by ESPN also can play second base, center field. He's five foot eight, 175 pounds. You thinking of Jose Altuve ish? Um, what are some of the intangibles that he brings to his game? Yeah, I mean he's. I mean he he, he spoke about it in his uh, post draft interview. He just kind of plays with a chip on his shoulder, and I think that's it's helped to have those kind of guys in your organization. And I think the Mets were really comfortable taking him because they were really familiar with him, and and he was a guy that there were some rumblings about uh, leading into the draft that they were kind of zeroing in on. You know, maybe a slight reach, uh, maybe not the the 14th best player available in the draft, but definitely would not have been available at their next pick at, at 52. So he's a guy that they zeroed in on and, and they won. And I think that's important in the organization that you're, you're taking your guys and the guys that you're familiar with and um, obviously getting high marks for his bat. And I think he'll, he'll hit because he's kind of that, that short short stroke uh, direct to the, to the ball, good contact skills, and um, even some some scouts saying that his his power is starting to come on as of late. And obviously he's he's just a, a high school kid, so he's got a lot of time to develop. But uh, interesting interesting player of the system for sure. With a 52nd pick, the Mets took Blade Tidwell, right-handed pitcher out of the University of Tennessee. Was expected to go in the top 15, but he had shoulder issues, kind of derailed those hopes. Could you give us a, maybe a scouting report on what Tidwell brings to the table? Will he be a starter, a reliever? Where is he at? Yeah, I think he's going to develop as a starter for as long as possible. And I think that's what the Mets usually do with their, their pitchers. They took a lot of those type of guys last year uh, in these middle rounds kind of you know guys that maybe could easily have, have made a quick transition to the bullpen and, and 
maybe risen a little quicker through the system, but they uh, want to try and develop those starting pitchers as long as they can. So uh, either Tidwell or, or Brandon Sprode, I think, are two guys that uh, will certainly stay in the rotation as, as long as possible. Uh, but, you know, Tidwell's a guy that's been definitely on the uh, on the radar of, of people who follow college baseball for a while just by being on, on Tennessee, who was, you know, the, the number one ranked team throughout most of the, the college baseball season. And, you know, good fastball and good velocity. And, and the hope is that he can kind of work with the player development staff and and you know really zero in on on a good fastball buzzword of uh you know the movement of, of the pitches and i think he's a few tweets away from really you know being a solid guy within the organization that could uh you know, fit to the mold of a number four number five starter now rounding out the five picks in the top 175th pick went to with um outfielder nick morbido gonzaga college high school in dc you mentioned the 90th pick, which was right-handed pitcher Brandon Sprout out of the University of Florida. You talked about him. What can you tell us about Nick Morbido? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't a guy that I was familiar with coming into uh, coming into the draft by being a little further down the board, but uh, or to uh, to uh, to Jet Williams just kind of being a, a smaller guy. He's listed at at 5'11", 185 pounds, and you know, Jet Williams 5'8", 175. So you know, he he played middle infield in in high school, but they said they want to, to work on the outfield and that's kind of how he'll he'll come into the system so um you know same thing he's he's kind of come on late on the on the scouting scene of being a, a pop-up guy obviously he, he's from virginia and dc and, and it's you know not exactly the uh you know upper north uh states not exactly the uh the hotbed of of uh, prep baseball talent, but um, he's you know I got another guy that they that they zeroed in on, and uh, he's got the uh, the contact, the speed, and and perhaps that that works out in the outfield for him. It's nice seeing with Morbido and even Jet Williams, who could possibly play a center field, that the Mets are bringing in some depth in the outfield because they've lacked some serious depth throughout the minors. When it comes to, you know, the outfield, especially, you know, guys closer to the major leagues, we basically have, you know, Khalil Lee is probably on the precipice and, uh, you know, they have obviously Nick Plummer there as well. But it's nice to see them go after some, you know, outfielders there. What grade would you give the Mets for these uh, five picks alone? That's a good question. I think. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be comfortable giving it a, a solid B. I mean, I, it's overall, I mean, uh, just kind of looking at the, the first two days, it didn't really feel like they got uh, their guys and were able to play the board as much as they were able to last year. I mean, they, they certainly picked guys that they were uh, uh, certainly liked and were interested in, but um, it just seemed like a lot more uh, unknowns that developed throughout the draft. So, um, you know, it's, it's all about kind of taking what what comes what, what comes to you in, in the draft and with so many picks and so many rounds it's just uh, a propensity for for that to happen for things to kind of go off course but like I said they got their guy in, in Jet Williams and uh, Maravido as well seemed like someone they really targeted um, and uh, you know they, they've got five guys in, in the top 90 that I think will will easily slot into the top 30 and you know whichever ranking you you want to go by so you know just continuing to build depth I think is a good thing maybe not the the pure upside that they've 
they've uh, been able to to get in the past, but but just gaps that you know the hope is you hand these guys off to the, the player development department in the in the organization, and they're able to to turn these guys from from depth into real real top prospects going forward. Well, Jacob, this was great. I can't thank you enough for you know educating me and other Med fans who may not be in as tuned with the draft and the deep pool of Mets prospects that we have. Let everyone know where you, what you're working on next and where they can find you on social media. For sure. I mean, I'm always on, on Twitter at Jacob underscore Resnick. Always looking to uh, continue to talk Mets prospects with uh, with anyone on there and, and catch my work on both MLB Pipeline. Um, got a lot of fun stuff happening over there. And of course, always on, on SNY. We do our, our show Mets Perspective every other week. Uh, on uh, online and on social media so uh, a lot of uh, a lot of fun going on over there and we'll actually have a live show coming up on on wednesday of this week to uh you know talk to tommy tangents and uh, perhaps we're, we're looking to get a, a couple of the picks on live and you know chat with fans on there so always a good time and appreciate it that's great i'll put all the links in the description of this week's podcast jacob thank you so much and i hope to have you on again soon you take care man Thanks so much, Anthony. That was Jacob Resnick. Jacob is a editorial social producer for MLB Pipeline. He also covers Mets prospects for SNY. He described everything for you right there. If you want to stay up to date with all the Mets prospects, minor leagues, make sure to follow him as well as Joe DeMeo. Both of them are very great follows, and it's going to be an interesting time watching the Mets get their farm system up and running and in full force better than where they've been in the past under the Wilpon regime. It's great to see them refuel retool this Mets farm system for now and the future to come. Now, my final notes before this train leaves the station, Francisco Alvarez and Mark Vientos represented the Mets in the 2022 Futures game. We're talking about prospects. We cannot not talk about Francisco Alvarez and Mark Vientos. Francisco Alvarez hit third in the lineup Went 0 for 1 with a walk. He was a DH. Mark Vientos played first base. Hit 7th. Went 0 for 2 with a walk. And it's great to see not only Mark Vientos there, but Francisco Alvarez in his second Futures game. I know in the first one he hit a home run. This one didn't fare too much. But what we care about is seeing these guys get the credit that they deserve for playing so well this season. And hopefully leading to both of these guys going to the big club very, very soon. Guys, I got more content coming for you this week. I mentioned it earlier. We're going to preview the second half of the season. We'll recap the first half of the season, and we'll go dive deeper into what is to come for these New York Mets, and more content is coming your way via YouTube. We're going to be launching a YouTube page soon. I just signed up for TikTok, so we're going to be doing that. Instagram stories are coming your way as well as Twitter spaces. So stay tuned, stay locked in with the Subway to Shea podcast. And you can do that by following on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shea. Listen to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Casts. Turn on your notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. If you're a new listener to this podcast, welcome to the Subway to Shea family. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you can 
consider subscribing on any of the platforms I just mentioned. Also, make sure to share it with your fellow Met fans. Let them know that this is the podcast to listen to for all of your New York Mets news. And if you have been supporting this podcast the entire time since the beginning, I can't thank you enough. This show wouldn't be where it is without you. And because of you, Subway to Shea is global. This podcast is not only played in the United States, but also has reaches across the globe. No matter where you listen, please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better each and every week and by going on Apple Podcasts, leaving me a one to five stars, hopefully five stars, and also leaving comments in the review section. It can only help me to help make this show grow each and every week. You can also rate the show on Spotify as well. That's another option. So you got a whole bunch of options. Let people know about this podcast and what it brings to the table. Don't forget also to follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the fan side and network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com or checking out the links in the description of this week's podcast episode. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter. Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and the Fan Sided Network at Fan Sided. That's going to wrap up the show. Thank you everyone for tuning in. I appreciate you all very much. And that's it. Always remember listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Let's go, Mets. <laughs> <laughs>